Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Now, I have a special guest with me. In fact, a guest who, alongside his co-author of a very, very good book, which we'll get to, set the record for the longest ever Tej Talks podcast uh, when we filmed it. And this would have been, I want to say, two years ago in a wee work in Paddington. And we had a nice little drink. I think I had tap water on the roof terrace afterwards. So, uh, Jay Anthony Howard, welcome. Thank you very much for having me back, Tej. I didn't know it was a record-breaking, uh, that one. And God, two years ago, that, that's, that's insane. I mean, look, we couldn't stop either of you speaking, to be honest. I just let it roll, and then it actually was really good. So, you know, it worked out for everyone. But <laughs> before we get into this, I want to let people know what we're going to talk about. Because the market right now, and we are recording this on the 14th of April, uh, the market now, and the market for, well, as long as I can kind of remember since lockdown, but at least for the past, I don't know, three, four months maybe, has just been crazy um in the sense that prices are hitting all-time highs uh people are you know and this is something we can talk about are overpaying for things based on logic rationale and any type of deal analysis ignoring the kind of brs and the special whatever stuff there seems to be a general thing of paying a lot of money right now for things that actually you know aren't worth it and on a rick survey probably wouldn't be worth it either and Every single person I speak to is struggling. I think land developers who are going direct to vendor maybe are not struggling so much, but every other person at every level is really, really having a tough time, especially in the, not to be rude, but because I do this as well, the common methods like buy-to-lets, flips, you know, um, things like that, really, really struggling to get a deal. Every single person, like, and I'm really feeling it. So to all my listeners who ask me this, you know, I've brought someone on who has a really good insight into this um, and knows a lot about auctions to kind of discuss some of the reasons why, because we're all experiencing it, but let's maybe understand why. And within that, maybe there's some opportunities. So Jay, do you want to give the people a quick introduction to kind of who you are and what you do in property? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been in property for 18 years. Um, I've been trading uh, property, so flips and trades um, for about 14 years. I've uh, worked as an estate agent, as uh, an investment agent. I've worked with a developer. I worked in international wealth management. So I managed a portfolio, well, several portfolios totaling about $3.3 billion in international real estate. Um, I was the auction manager for a central London auction company for six years. Um, I am doing some consultancy for a national auction brand. I have uh, my own businesses that I run with with uh, my co-author, Piotr Rusnek. Um, so we have Hammered Auctions, which helps people sell their property to auction and maximize the effect of that sale. Um, we also run a uh, um, uh, buyer's club, which is a, um, a private member's club of, of 12 fixed people. Um, and we go through deals on a regular basis. Um, yeah. And that, that's it, really. Awesome. Is that Buyers Club open to people? Should people be messaging you about that? Um, well, 
no <laughs> is is in short at the moment we have we have 12 people um and uh they're all pretty dedicated but um if anyone wants to put themselves down for a short list if a space comes available then they're more than welcome to cool um and we'll talk about your book near the end as well because i want to talk through this and then i want to share my experiences uh from the book and you know i recommend it so much so jay let's you know are you as a trader slash flipper who you know really you need to get things cheap you know you can't be paying market value for stuff because of how you operate how are you finding the market are you finding it how i described it or have you got a different perspective on it no 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 we're, we're yeah in 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 very very basic terms and i've, I've been quite public on this I, I believe that the market is on fire it, it's it's too hot to touch you know in a certain respect you know in so far as you know we at the beginning well Towards the back end of last year to the beginning of this year, we were looking to increase our trading activity by quite a bit. Um, and we've nowhere near hit our targets. A, because um, the, if, if anything close to a deal hits the market, it's gone. It's gone a day or two later. And for money that, you know, for us, we would never pay. Um, and unless you're an owner occupier who's going to live there for 10 years, you know, no other real investor worth their salt is going to pay that kind of money either um so yeah we're we're we're, i wouldn't say we're struggling because i think tomorrow we're completing on our latest trade which did quite well um so you know we're still transacting but we're doing far less volume but what we do which is slightly different to other trade or flippers is we 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 try and add some value in between the exchange and completion or the back-to-back if we're if we're doing a straight flip um, so that means we can pay slightly closer to market value, but the value add that we put in in the interim increases the value of the asset determinably. So that's how we create a margin where then there's a slim margin. We can create a healthy margin. I like that, that kind of value added piece. And it also helps, you know, that makes sense. It's, it's de-risking, but of course, at the same time, it lifts up the profits. So you've been in property for nearly 20 years now. Have you ever seen a market like this before? Yes, yeah. So I would say this, this this reminds me very much of that 2014 to 2016 kind of heat in the market where it was very much it was a very very sales oriented market. So if you were a seller, you were in a, a real position of power. Um, that only changed when you know the uncertainty of Brexit, you know, mid to late 2016 came in. But from 2014 to 2016, that was. You know, following the 2008 crash, that was a very, very hot part of the market. Mm. And, you know, let's get into the reasons for this market and then we can talk about maybe how we how you think it's going to change and then maybe what people can do about it. So I think there's quite a few factors affecting, you know, this 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 heat. In your opinion, what do you think? Talk me through some of the factors. I, I think one of the the main factors um, that we're seeing here is that there is far less stock entering the market. So the 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 you know the the shortage of of stock is definitely increasing the demand element. Like that that's that's one hundred percent. That's that's a standard kind of rule of economy that that's out there. You know, reduce supply, heighten demand to to outstrip that 
Uh, and there are several reasons for that. You know, a lot of a lot of property who would, a lot of people who would normally be selling um, property who cannot um, because the government have kind of you know put a, a blockade up is you know repossess properties which make up a fair chunk of not just the auction market but the open market as well. That's been stopped. That that's been stopped for fourteen months. You know, that was one of the first things that was was to protect, you know, the voters, um, you know, in, in terms of something that's highly politicised, that was stopped. Um, the other side of the market is actually a lot of probate sales. There's a far less probate sales entering into the market because um, the probate has to go through court. You have to get the grant of probate. And because the courts have been closed, there's a massive, like, nine, ten-month backlog in the court system at the moment. Um, so I imagine when that is eased and when the repossession restrictions are eased there's going to be a flood of properties hitting the market um there's an argument to say that actually the demand will meet that increase um stock flow um but there's a counter argument there if if there is a big kind of gush of stock entering the market that maybe the supply will outstrip the demand in certain asset classes um one of the other things uh, that I think is 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 really inflating the market is there's just so so much cheap finance out there at the moment. I was I was quoted some ridiculously low prices for for bridging. You know, you you were you know, go back two or three years, you'd be paying you know one percent a month, two percent arrangement, one and a half percent exit, and you know I was I think I was offered zero point six a month. On, on a bridge no, that, that's a 40 percent reduction in fee uh, and obviously I, th- I think you know the bridging market's become more competitive because at the start of, of the first lockdown you know one of the country's biggest bridges kind of sat back and said look let's see how this is going to go and then it was it was open to the rest of the market to kind of fight out for the 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 stock the the business and I, I think there was a bit of a race to the bottom to to keep that loan book churning there's some really cheap finance out there. There's really cheap loans, so just traditional loans. Um, obviously, if you're a trading business and you're a property trading business, you know you would have had, you know, government-backed loans and, and securitized loans and things like that. So there's a lot of money out there. There's also a lot of people who are in high-powered jobs, you know, who traditionally have either good equity or good savings, who may have been let go or have just been twiddling their thumbs for months. Who have now entered the market and thinking right to kind of guard against inflation, um, I'm going to start buying some real real property assets, um, and they've just started you know kind of throwing cash around like it's it's nothing. So there's there's that that I think needs to be kind of taken into consideration. I think you know the new PD rights. You know there's been so many new PD rights that have been talked out and uh, talked about. You've got the new MA, you've got E, you've got fifty other Letters of every alphabet you can think of, you know, you know the the resi, you know the full the full commercial to resi um, conversion stuff that's coming out is really starting to, you know, people are really starting to bank commercial properties now. Whereas if you were to think nine months ago, ten months ago, when the the high streets closed and people were thinking, wow, how how is this going to recover? Well, it may not, or it may evolve, it may transform into something else. But actually, with investors having that plan, you know, the multiple exit strategy, that plan B, C, D, E, F, and G, you know, 
they have the option to right okay if the commercial isn't working here what does the residential conversion look like you know what what are the resi values in the area does it make sense going through the process and doing the conversions so you know that that i think has had an impact you know there there was some news coming out about the uh, changes to um the uh, leasehold you know the leasehold reform act um and i think that's made leasehold properties more attractive to investors who previously wouldn't have looked at leasehold properties because of the ground rent, the service charge, the building insurance, the la, the la, 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 all of that stuff. So because all of those things can, you know, they take a dent, they take a piece of the pie out of your yield um, as opposed to a freehold house. So there's a lot of things like that. Um, and, you know, I've mentioned it already, but the furlough and the redundancies of high level jobs, that is definitely having an impact, you know, you know, have a go heroes um, who who are just like flying into the market because you know if if the if it's easy, everyone will do it. And at the moment, because anyone can make an offer on a property, it's easy. The difficult part is is buying a deal and not overpaying. And I think that's something that definitely I'm struggling with, um, not as much as others perhaps, but you know more so than I was a year or eighteen months ago, a hundred percent. Mm. Really great summary there. And yeah, the thing about the courts and the probates and the repossessions that I literally did not think of that at all. And that makes a lot of sense because I've noticed like where I invest, I just haven't seen repo, you know, with the um, do not use tape on it. And so I just, now you mention it, there's just been a total, yeah, I just have not seen them for a long time, which that makes sense. And agents haven't said to me, this is a probate either for a while. So yeah, I think that's a really good, yeah, really open my eyes. But then also you said the demand might meet that kind of stock. And I mean, if it continues as it is, that looks quite likely to happen. Um, now, you know, with all of these reasons, right, it does explain why the market is so hot. But what I, and I think many others can't get their head around, and maybe it's because we're property developers and we, we need an ROI and we've got spreadsheets and we've got percentages, but people paying, I mean, let me, let's give you an example. I saw something at auction, um, end value is two, 280, guided at 150 um, for the auction we were talking about a bit earlier, and it went for 265 and it needed... 30 grand's worth of work. Now, I don't think that makes sense in any capacity because you could buy a ready-made version of that on the same street for, you know, two, eight, whatever, all done, all, you know, lettable from day one with no headache and no stress. So why is that example, you know, because that that's, a, that's a real example which highlights a general issue. Why do you think that is happening, like, which seems very illogical? Yeah, I mean, you 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 see these from time to time, and this isn't an issue with COVID or how hot the market is now. You, you you'd see those things happen at, at auction, and you know, indeed, estate agents. I've I've been outbid on stuff at, with with or out offered on stuff with agents in similar situations. What I normally say is, what is that person's exit strategy that enables them to go in at that value? So is 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 that property um, suitable for conversion to HMO? Or is it in an area where they're likely to get good service accommodation kind of stuff from? Because if you're gonna if you're going to take a like you know I don't know what the property was maybe it was a three bedroom semi or terraced house if you're able to turn that into an HMO then actually 
you know, you're not valuing it on bricks and mortar anymore. You're, you're probably doing a hybrid valuation based on bricks and mortar and yield. Um, and actually, if it's like most HMO investors, you know, they're buying it for a very, very long time. Most people don't flip and trade HMOs. The majority do hold 10, 15, 20 years, at which point your purchase price is eroded somewhat, A, by the passage of time and capital appreciation, depending on location, and B, it's also eroded by your cash flow over that period of time, taking into consideration voids and running costs, etc. But, you know, people um, who have that kind of mindset that are doing that kind of strategy, they, they're always going to be able to pay more than you or I. Yeah. And homeowners, of course, will pay whatever it takes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they don't care. Either way, you know, they'll, they'll get Halifax or Barclays or some other generic funder to, to, to you know, lend to them on it. You know, it's, it's not done on a, on a commercial basis. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. It's understanding, yeah, what how can they pay that much for it, essentially? And I think when we do a certain strategy or we're focused on one thing, it's, you know, we don't think as property investors, well, hold on a minute, could they not do, you know, what you said there? Which, yeah, like, are they are they seeing something that we haven't seen, potentially? But of course, that combined with all the factors you just mentioned means that we're going to see more of this right now. Um, and something you haven't mentioned is the stamp duty holiday. Do you think that's had, it's a bit of a false economy, but do you think it's had, you know, is it contributing to this? Um, you know, th- this this isn't the first time we've had a stamp duty holiday. And I think with stamp duty holidays, people are looking to do a lot of transactions in a short period of time. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pay more because, you know, for, for the average person, a stamp duty holiday means that you're, you're on average saving, you know, three or six thousand pounds. Or maybe, you know, depending on the height of the market that you're in, maybe if you're buying something for two or three million, obviously you're, you're saving 15, 20, 30,000 pounds, whatever it may be. So the, the reality is you're unlikely to be paying an extra 30,000 pounds to save yourself 6,000 pounds. So what it does is, is it may, it may make the market look hot, but it shouldn't really influence price. It may have done, but um, actually where we're sitting in the market now I think it is it and and probably for the last three or four weeks it, I think it's it's been far less impactful on the market than than people would expect interesting interesting so the shortage of stock is is a big thing I mean do you have any knowledge or, or data on when when that kind of when the probates and the repossessions are going to open up well I, I read an article recently that was that was done by Paul Champolina. Um, mm. who's really knowledgeable on, on like, um, you know, landlord and tenant stuff. And he was he was stipulating that the government have potentially kicked the can down the road too long by keeping this embargo in place, mm. because all it's done is it's it's now forcing vendors or more, more importantly, um, buy to let investors in, in whichever sphere that you're in to go, right, this person hasn't been paying. Um, I'm going to sell or I'm going to get them removed and then either relet it or, or whatever. So it hasn't served its purpose very well. Um, the other thing is that people who've taken mortgage holidays um, on, on owner-occupier residential stuff or where they haven't been able to pay their mortgage for six or nine months, actually what's happening is 
Um, there were there were some asset managers that worked for banks. So I don't know if you, if maybe not a lot of people are aware of this, but from 2008, when they had the, the banking reform come in, um, banks now have to, they, they have to go through an intermediary, like an asset manager that, that handles the sale and the repossession of their stock. Uh, and that means that there is a, a barrier, you know, pr- uh, protecting the repossessed party from uh, nepotism or, or or unfair advantage or, you know, sales at an undervalue or, or, or lack of transparency, things like that. So these asset managers, um, the, the interesting thing with them is at the moment, they they haven't been doing anything for the longest time. And there's a couple that I speak to on a semi-regular basis, part of my consultancy. Um, and they were saying, look, we're, we're, we're kind of scaling everything up to, to start dealing with, with these files. You know, they've got one or two members of staff dealing with historical stuff, which is why every once in a while you'll see uh, one or two bits of repossessed stock, but that's, that's all historical. But you will find uh, a lot of them are, are looking to kind of start dealing with cases in August, September time. Wow. So there is an argument that Q4 this year will see a bit of a, a, a flood of stock of that type. But what, what a couple of these asset managers were doing, if I go back to my point, is they, they were approaching the repossessed party and the bank and saying, look, instead of repossessing them, why don't you assist them in selling the property before they get too many of these, um, you know, uh, these default charges and interest charges and this, that and the other. Um, and apparently a couple of those transactions, I don't know the numbers, but a, um, a couple of people I know have, have had a couple of those transactions done as well. So there were a couple of industrious people in, in that kind of corporate sphere um, who kind of put one and two together and came up with three and, and had a solution that they were offering to <clears throat> to certain sellers who were willing to listen. Wow. That is interesting so we've got you know at least until they properly open up and get going we've got quite a while and then the legal system is obviously very slow so we've then got an even more of a while until we maybe start to see the effects of this i mean how long i think this is obviously a very uh, crystal ball type question but you know this heat right this market that's too hot to touch how long do you think it's going to last looking at the government stimulus and all these factors you've you know spoken about uh it it will last as long as the stimulus continues uh, and the, the government at the moment is being really very whether you agree with it or not they've been really very proactive with that stimulus you know obviously there are people that have slipped through the gaps but by and large for their for their voting populace, they they've done quite a bit to protect them and to to keep them liquid, for the most part. Um, and whilst that continues, I don't expect the heat in the market to change. What I do expect is is once um, the floodgates are open and and more of this stock that's sitting in the background is able to come to the market, that will you know that that will be like pouring yogurt on a vindaloo. You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna it's not going to solve your problem, you know, still put, still put your, uh, your toilet roll in the freezer. It's, it, it's not, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be more palatable for a longer period of time. That's a very interesting way of, <laughs> of putting it and toilet roll in the freezer. Wow. I didn't, I mean, I can eat a vindaloo. That's fine, but interesting. Um... I'm a foul kind of guy, but you, you never know who the <laughs> listenership is. You know, I can handle it, but. Uh... 
So then to kind of conclude, I suppose, I think we've we've explained to the people the reasons why, and it's definitely clarified a few things for me. I can be a bit more calmer now when I'm seeing these ridiculousness at auctions. Um, like, what can, any suggestions? I know everyone listening is obviously doing totally different strategies, but just generally, if people want to buy, you know, the, the usual kind of stuff, you know, shitholes, short leases, the, the nice stuff that we like, any tips at all or any anything you think we can do in this period to sort of try and get deals i think i think for me you know if you're dealing with uh, an agent or an auction or whoever or a a, a broker or a deal finder whatever it is i think i i think it's difficult to do deals in those environments not impossible because you know we bought and sold in 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 covid um not the not the not the volume that we would have liked but we've done enough um where we found the most success is we have um, tried to speak directly to the owner without without cutting out you know any professional person without cutting out an auctioneer or an agent we don't do that stuff but if we can if we can get in front of that seller and we can be personable and we can find out what their problem is and we can solve it um, that's really been the success of a couple of deals that I've done so that that's that's not necessarily an asset class or a strategy based piece of advice but people want to be dealing with people they want that comfort they don't they want don't want to be hearing a name and, and doing a transaction so we we've tried where possible and we put a lot more time and effort into this part of our process um where we can to actually speak to somebody um and and put it put what we do across um and you know we we're, we're still buying stuff that has you know legal issues or is mortgage restricted and things like that so we solve those problems and make them mortgageable and by bringing them to the market by solving the problems that may not be the risk appetite for the majority of other people in the industry so you know that the advice i'd have behind that probably won't be too helpful but if you can be personable and you can still solve that problem you can figure out what their motivations are and solve that then i think you're in a very strong position to do um Maybe it's volume or or do far more deals at a, a far appropriate level for you. Mm. This is exactly what I'm hearing and exactly what I'm doing. My direct to vendor, you know, stuff has, well, I didn't really do any before, but it's just totally, you know, just increased tenfold and is, is happening every day, all the time. If you're to, doing direct to vendor, you why why don't you come on as a beta tester for our distress asset platform that we're trying to to bring to market? Uh, I mean, the fact you haven't asked me as the first person ever is offensive. So um, I, I will be I, there. You know, I, I knew you were gonna you were gonna turn that on. <laughs> I don't even know why I've done that in a public space. <laughs> well, can, consider your name on the list. You're there. I, I may even move you up a bit just to make you feel good about yourself. Oh, thank you. Yeah, bump me up a little bit if you can. You already bumped me by asking me so late. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely do that. And that's the kind of platform that I am absolutely down for. Um, Jay, before we go, I just want to, you know, I want to just recommend your book to people because a lot of people ask me because you know, I love auctions. I'm very open about it. I, I put all sorts on my Instagram story about legal packs and the, the funny slash annoying slash slightly illegal stuff that um, I experience and I know you, you see it as well. Your book um, with Piot is is fantastic um before the hammer falls it's a very big book actually i'm looking at it right now um nice big purple cover satin cover available on amazon is that right jay 
Yes, yeah, we're recommending people go to Amazon Smile because some of the profits Amazon makes there goes to a charity. So, but yeah, Amazon, it's it's easy to get from Amazon. Amazon Smile, I always use Amazon Smile. It's nice that Jeff gives it, um, one penny out of his three billion to the RSPCA and stuff. But anyways, we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just want to say to people, look, your book has, with without a doubt, has directly made me thousands of pounds from like what you've said in it and I know it's saved me and made me tens of thousands of pounds in the bigger picture and for how much does it cost 15 quid yeah there or thereabouts yeah for 15 quid I mean the ROI is pretty 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 awesome so Jay uh look people listening go and get the book Jay thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast thank you for having me again Tej If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.